Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 216 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman, the first episode of the podcast in December. Here we are. I am, of course, Joey Coastman. Like I say, I'm joined, as always, by the infamous, the elusive, the festive feeling, Mr. Sumra. Sumra, how's it going? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part. Obviously, it's Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz fight week. So this podcast, I'm I'm guessing, is probably going to be quite quite lengthy. Um, I'm not quite sure how long, you know, at, at this at this actual time. But let's try to go through the the little subjects as quick as possible. Let's start with the review part in Brisbane um at the at the well in South Brisbane at the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Centre in Queensland, Australia. Over here, um Anthony Mundine, he actually lost a split decision over ten rounds to John Wayne Parr, a guy who only had a record of ten and three. Um, now, of course, 11-3, and three. Anthony Mundine, he retired straight after the fight, he was knocked down in the fourth round, I think he had a point took off as well later on in the fight for hitting um, his opponent, John Wayne Parr, in the back of the head, Anthony Mundine finally hangs up the gloves, his record ends at um, at 48 wins and 10 losses, a, a, a real example of a guy that hung around very, very long in the sport. Uh, moving out now to Vabalava in Estonia. Just one fight to mention, really. Heavyweight Robert Hellenius returned with a knockout win in two rounds against Matthias Osorio, now 9-5. and five. A bit of a mismatch there on paper. Robert Hellenius now 29-3. and three. Moving out now to the Monaco show at the Casino di Monte Carlo. Um... Let's start with the main event over here. Alexander Besputin, um, 13-0, now 14-0. It was a unanimous decision for him over 12 rounds against Radzab Butayev, who's now 12-1. Again, I said it on last week's show, both men were real, real, real good amateurs. It was for the vacant WBA World Welterweight title and the vacant Eurasian Boxing Parliament Welterweight title. Throw that one in there as well. Um, Yeah, I'm not quite sure really how both men, amongst all those names that you've got at welterweight you know the likes of um i'm starting in britain here so don't jump down my throat straight away but you know amir khan uh, kel brook um you know going in the states you've got the likes of what are the other guys that don't hold belts so sean porter hasn't got a belt at the minute obviously lost to spence you've got so many guys in the welterweight division danny garcia i don't think he holds a belt at the minute um you know, Jose Benavides Jr., there's tons and tons and tons of names, Igis Kavalowskis, all these guys, there's tons, David Avanesian, there's names all over the place that are real established pros, and I've got no idea how these guys, who, you know, were great amateurs, they turned over, they've only had 12 fights and 13 fights each, and they've managed to, to, to wiggle their way into a title, you know, so they're now a champion, you know, one of the 
one of the belts with the WBA, the regular, I believe it is. So um, I'm not quite sure how they've managed to do, to do that, but now they're going to be on the radar for, for these massive names that we've got at 147. So lots and lots of big fighters will be wanting those fights, I'd imagine, just to pick up a, a belt. Um, but, you know, they're good fighters there, especially Alexander Besputin, who managed to win, in my opinion, quite 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 wide it was eight rounds to four on all three judges scorecards um for once all, ju- all all judges actually had it exactly the same we don't get to see that too much in boxing moving down that undercard cecilia brackhouse moved to 36 and 0 a defense of her wbc wba ibf ibo and wbo world female welterweight titles um she was able to beat victoria bustos a very tough lady i didn't expect brackhouse to get her out of there and she didn't it was like i say unanimous over 10 two minute rounds quite wide on the cards as well Bustos now 19 and 6, former opponent of Katie Taylor. Um, again, I think she had to move up maybe one or two weight classes, so it was always, you know, against her really. Um, also on the bill, Joe Cordina took on Mario Enrique Tinoco, the guy that was able to beat. Jordan Gill, uh, Joe Caldina really showed his class in there, it was for the vacant WBA Continental Super Featherweight title um, yeah, Joe Caldina, you know he has got that, you know that, that pedigree that Jordan Gill doesn't have, and I criticised Jordan Gill a tiny bit because he had loads and loads of fights, he managed to build his record up without really having a proper test, and I think he may have just had one, I can't remember who it was now, he had one test, was it against, um I always forget this guy's name, but it was against the guy that knocked out um, Reese Bellotti. That guy, I forgot his name. Always forget his name on the podcast. Terrible of me. But anyway, he, he knocked out um, Reese Bellotti, and then Jordan Gill stopped him. I think it was at the Copper Box. And that one, I believe, was for the Commonwealth title. But anyways, that was his real test. And then he took on he took on Tonoko. Not really the fights that we wanted to see him in. And he ended up getting found out there. Um, but yeah, Joe Caldina are a bit of a level above, to be honest. Like I say, got that pedigree, got the win. And in good fashion, 11-0 now. Tough, tough fight, though. I'm sure he'll, he'll learn a lot from that and improve. Um, also on that bill, Zalil Zhang, the Olympic silver medalist, the six foot six Chinese southpaw, now twenty one and zero. It was a unanimous decision over ten rounds against Andre Rodenko, now thirty three, or oh, sorry, thirty two and five. Zalil Zhang, he's been extremely inactive. He's he's getting up there in age. I think he's thirty six or thirty seven. He needs to get moving. That one was for the WBO Oriental heavyweight title. Not quite sure how Rodenko was able to fight for that one. Um, obviously, Huey Fury he was supposed to be on the bill then his fight fell through i couldn't believe that to be honest i know he was sat there ringside for the for the fights but um you know he should have just gone in the ring unless unless something was physically um you know really wrong with him that he couldn't stand up for 36 minutes like he had the runs or something why didn't he fight the guy he would have beaten the guy he was he was boxing with with both arms tied behind his back you know the guy was absolutely dreadful um, but anyway, he didn't fight. Moving out now to the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. Over here, um, Liam Dillon, 9-0 against Yusuf Kamari, 10-0. Um, again, I said it on last week's show, lots and lots of undefeated fighters were getting it on. It seems like it's been a thing of late. Lots of people's uh, lots of people's O's are being lost. And it was for the vacant English super featherweight title. Unbelievably, the title's still vacant because it went down as a split draw over 10 rounds there so both men still got that oh 
in, in terms of their losses. They've got one, though, on the draw sector. Um, also on the bill, Echo Essaman, good amateur. I think he got a win over Ted Cheeseman in the amateurs. Good fighter, undefeated pro, the English welterweight champion. He was able to defend the belt once again against Curtis Felix Jr., who was 10-0 undefeated. Now he's been given that one loss. It was a TKO in round eight there for Echo Essaman, now 13-0. and On the undercard, we also got to see Linus Udofia, 14-0, and now 15-0. and It was a majority decision over 10 rounds against Tyler Denny, now 12-2. and Two with two draws. That one was for the vacant English middleweight title. Um, Linus Udofi, I remember watching him take on, um, I think his name's Eric Nwankwo. He is a guy that knocked out William Weber. I think he knocked him out. He beat William Weber anyway, took his O. And he came over from some part of Africa. He didn't tell his family that he was boxing. And all of a sudden, I think it was on Sky Sports. And he was basically saying, hi, mum, hi, dad. <laughs> you know, I think he came over to, to, to study or something like that and found himself in a boxing gym. Next thing you know, he's beating, you know, a, a good amateur in William Weber who turned pro. Anyway. That was a good win there, but since then, I think he's lost every fight, this guy, Eric Nwankwo. But one of his losses came to Lionel Shudofia, and I was sat there at York Hall, and I saw him put in a little bit of a, I won't say a beating on Yudofia, but he was giving Yudofia some real, real problems in the early rounds. He was beating him clearly in the rounds, and then he seemed to run out of gas, and Lionel Shudofia got the win. It seemed like his gas tank was, was his biggest asset in that fight. Or, or perhaps not his biggest asset, but Nwankwo's biggest weakness. You know, he fades real quick, um, and and that just that just kind of told me I don't think Udofia's gonna be as great as what a lot of people in the small hall shows were telling me. You know, they were saying, "Oh, this this guy's one to watch." When I saw him have have real problems problems with Eric Nwankwo, I thought to myself, "Not quite sure." And he's he's got a majority decision win, a real close fight there. Um, over over Tyler Denny, you know, and I don't think Tyler Denny's all that great, to be honest. So, just being completely honest, I'm sure Yudofia, if he ends up hearing this, I'm sure he'll he'll uh, get a, get a bit of extra motivation going forward. Um, he may he may uh, you know I'm not saying I'm always right. I'm just saying what I thought that one night against Nwankwo could have been an off night. But um, we shall see. Still undefeated. He's doing very well at the minute. 15-0, the new English middleweight champion. Moving out now, though, to the Arena Birmingham in Birmingham, of course. West Midlands, United Kingdom, starting with the main event, Ayaz. Zolani Tete, big favourite on paper, 28-3. and Obviously, we didn't get to see the fights that we wanted to see him in of recent times. We wanted somehow to see him in with Ryan Burnett. That's now never going to happen. We wanted to see him in the, I think it's the semi-finals against Nonito Donaire. And then he pulled out, I think it was on fight week. So he hasn't been in the big fights, you know. He's, he's kind of, he's been very unfortunate with, with stuff. And here he is. He got in there against John Real Casemiro, a guy we knew well, a guy that knocked out Charles. Charlie Edwards on that Brook Golovkin undercard, and Casemiro, you know, he come back over here, and he's 2-0 and with two KOs, three rounds it took him to get rid of Tete, and like I say, a real big shock, he's the new WBO world bantamweight champion, I think Casemiro's a, a world champion in three or four weights now, which is incredible, but just tell me about the fight, twice Tete was down in that third round. Yes, I thought Tete was going to win this fight, obviously he's the champion and he was going to be the favourite. Obviously, Teddy um, in the first, Casemiro had him from the first round. Second round, obviously, in the third round, obviously, hit him with, hit him with that shot, dropped him on the floor. Um, where does Teddy go from here? Uh, I think, personally, Teddy, I think he should go back, uh, rejuvenate his career, and hopefully come back again. 
But I think I think it with Teddy obviously it's due to the fact that he's had really injuries. What it was, I think he went into a big he went into a Casemiro fight straight away after a long period out of time. And I think that was the reason why he lost his fight. I think if, if what he should have done he had like a good ten rounder fight with like a nobody and then fought somebody else. He went into a Casemiro fight, which I think Casemiro is a very good fighter. Obviously, we saw him and destroyed Charlie Edwards. And I think Teddy made a mistake not fighting Casemiro straight away. I think he should have fought like a, he should have had a step up fight and then fought Casemiro. Yeah, that's a fair point to be honest, because he was he was coming off over a year out of the ring, and you know he hadn't lost a fight since 2012. So seven years undefeated, Tete. Um, yeah, you're probably right there, actually. As in hindsight, that's a good point there. Um, but yeah, I was shocked. I mean, it seemed like he got caught on the temple and he never really recovered. The first knockdown was just really, it was really weird, you know, because he got hit and then all of a sudden he, he kind of stood in front of Casemiro sideways on and Casemiro just, you know, threw shots in the side of the head, you know, the, 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 the you know, the chin. He completely just smothered him real quick. Boom, boom, boom. And then on it, on his knees or on his, on the floor, I should say on the seat of his pants was Tete. Uh, moving down that undercard though. Um, well, just, just quickly before actually we get onto the undercard, someone was talking to me on Twitter about the Tete, um, the Tete fight, and, and they said, you know, he's he's not to blame, Frank Warren's to blame, and I was basically saying, you know, he's based in South Africa, this guy. He, he's had the big opportunity with the World Boxing Super Series. Yeah, he won the quarterfinal, but then he, he fell straight out when it comes to the semis. He didn't get to fight Ryan Burnett. He's been extremely inactive. He's had the injuries. He's getting up there in age. I think that's it, actually. I, as I know that you said he needs to kind of you know, find himself again, he needs to rejuvenate, I think that's it for him, I honestly think he goes back to South Africa, I don't think anyone's going to want to give him a chance really at that weight, because he's so big for the weight, he's a bit of a danger man, you know, he's in the who needs him club, people didn't really want to fight him anyway when he had a belt, so now he hasn't got a belt, I think that's it, you know, it's going to be tough for him to come back, I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Warren ends up, you know, parting, parting ways with him, if that if that hasn't already happened as we're speaking, it may have been a you know a few fights on a deal or whatever. It could have been a fight-by-fight fight thing because, again, he's not a big name. I can't see Eddie Hearn wanting to rival Frank Warren and try and sign him as well, you know? He's he's a guy that's probably just going to disappear, sadly. But it happens. It happens a lot to the African boxers, especially. Um, on that undercard, once again, Sam Bowen, the British champion, went into the bout with a record of 15-0, and 0, and he had his O taken as well. Anthony Kakachi now 18-1. and 1. Bowen, of course, had a point deducted for use of his head in round five it was for like I say Bowen's British title now Kakachi has taken the belt from him a very questionable scorecard from Terry O'Connor once again I think that's a couple weeks in a row now um, he gave it to Sam Bowen by a three but the other two judges Howard Foster and Steve Gray saw it the other way so a split decision win there over 12 rounds for Kakachi the challenger um, not many people thought that Kakachi'd win that fight I know that Archie Sharp had been saying to me for a while that he felt Kakachi would give him all he's got. You know, he'd, he could he could give him loads of problems, and I think he was quietly siding with him as well. And he did the job, you know, and he looked real good. Um, everything that Sam Bowen did, you know, he kept coming forward. There wasn't really any science to his work. It wasn't really. Um, I feel any respect for Kakachi's power. He just felt he could walk through him. And I feel like Sam Bowen has been doing that for a few fights now. You know, he's got that kind of bullish style, and. I don't want to, I mean, 
dare I say he's been a little bit one-dimensional in his fights of recent times where he's just been walking forward trying to walk people down he's of course got the power and the strength there's no there's no kidding about that but um yeah he was just he was just a little bit too cute for him Kakachi and he ended up getting the points win so credit to him and of course just like that Bowen loses his oh he loses his British title and he probably loses the fight against um Zelfa Barrett which would have been a big um all domestic fight or Archie Sharp you know I don't think Archie Sharp's interested in Sam Bowen now why would you be um, so yeah, tough stuff there for Sam Bowen. Hopefully he comes back again. I think he's a he's a real good fighter. I'd like to see a rematch, to be honest. I'm sure he would too. Also on the bill, Chris Jenkins, 22 and three with with three draws. It was a technical draw after four rounds against Liam Taylor, um, 21 and one with one draw. This one was for the Commonwealth and British welterweight titles. Now. This was real, real controversial. Jenkins was down early in the second round, and he was cut on his left eyebrow, which was from an accidental head clash. And then, like I say, the doctors um, came in and, and, and called the fight off. It went down as a technical draw. But I think if I think there was something like 10 seconds left in the round, and if, if, that, if that 10 seconds would have passed and they would have gone back to the, to the corner, then it would have been too late for a technical draw to happen. So it would have gone down... You know, it would have gone down as a technical decision. It would have gone straight to the cards. And Liam Taylor, especially with his knockdown, had had definitely, you know, been in the driving seat in the fight. And he would have probably ended up with the win. So I feel bad there for Liam Taylor. Hopefully a rematch can happen. Chris Jenkins, a guy that's really stepped up in level since getting the shot, actually, for the British title. And his defences have been great. So um, I think he's the type of fighter who'd say, do you know what? I had a little... A little toe dip there of what it's like to take on Liam Taylor. And yeah, I didn't fight my best. Hopefully when the cut heals, we can get it on again. That's that's the kind of thing I believe Chris Jenkins would be thinking. And a true champion would do that. So hopefully he does. Also on that bill, Shabazz Massoud moved to 7-0. and A points win for him over six rounds against Stefan Nikolai. Now 3-20 and with a draw. Hamza Shiraz looked really, really good. He's a fighter of... I've been watching since he was about 1-0 and or 2-0, and and I thought, man, oh man, he's huge for the weight, but he can really box, you know, um, and I've just been a bit of a believer in him, he's now 10-0, and like I say, a TKO for him in six rounds against Ryan Kelly, now 14-3, and that one was for the vacant WBO European Super Welterweight title, Sammy Maxwell moved to 13-0, and his one was also for the WBO uh, European Super Lightweight title, he took on Connor Parker, who was undefeated, his O has been taken now 12 and 1, a TKO for Sammy Maxwell in seven rounds. And of course, um, the, the main event, I believe it was, Lerone Richards now 13 and 0. It was a split decision over 12 rounds for him um, against Lennox Clark, who is now 19 and 1 with a draw. He had his O taken as well. It was for the Commonwealth title, of course, which Lerone Richards, I think, beat. Um, who did he beat for that one? It was the guy that from Birmingham, the guy that Kurt Sidzi knocked out, Tommy, oh man, former British champion, what was his name, Ayaz, was it Tommy something, he's been on this show before, the guy that Eubank, I'm not quite sure, the guy that Chris Eubank Jr. didn't want to defend against, so he vacated the British, I've totally forgot his name, Laurent Richards boxed him, literally, I think it was his last fight before this one, uh, what's his name, Tommy Langford, Tommy Langford, Tommy Langford, yeah, um, that's 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 good that that's over. Anyway, yeah, Lennox Clark, you know, again, just just kept wanting to try and come forward. And to be honest, 
I don't think he could have done much different. You know, Lerone Richards is, is massive for for um, for super middle, and he can really box. You know, he's a tricky, tricky guy. Not the most entertaining fighter to watch, and um, he's just got a very difficult style to look good against, and it's hard to have success against him. He's not the type of guy that would get dragged into a war. He's the type of guy that is completely fine with letting it be boring as long as he's winning easy. Um, it wasn't that easy because, you know, Lennox Clark, I felt, came on quite strong actually in the last couple rounds. And there was a few moments where I think Richards took some big shots. But all in all, a good performance from Richards and another learning fight. And the final fight to mention on that bill, Dennis McCann now 5-0. and oh, Another knockout for him. A second round knockout against Stefan Slavchev now 10-37. and 37 with two draws right that's it for that one moving out now to the cosmopolitan of las vegas in las vegas nevada usa hmm this one was quite a shock it wasn't shown on the the uk telecast so um, i haven't actually seen it but this one was a huge shock for me it was for the interim wbo world super welterweight title carlos adames i think he's from the dominican republic i'm sure he's the guy that um, has got about 45 siblings now 18 and 1 he was actually he was actually on the, uh, the 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 bad end of a unanimous decision there for Brazilian Patrick Texera now 31 and 1 um I think Texera lost the fight early on to someone but I didn't ever really rate him after that I felt like he was he was a bit padded and you know he wouldn't be able to mess with Carlos Adames a guy that I think is quality actually and Adames was on the seat of his pants in round 7 and like I say he lost unanimously the right man got the decision I, I cannot believe it when I saw that result I was like wow wow I really thought Adames was was certainly going to be a future world champion perhaps it's not too late though um, but yeah, brilliant win there for Texera. Brilliant stuff for, for for Brazilian boxing. Also on the card, Oscar Valdez, my guy I was trying to get on the show. Oh boy, so much last week. It was it was crazy what I what I tried to do to get him on the show and didn't end up getting him on. And um, his opponent, of course, came in. I've, I don't know what was on his mind. He came in and he, he ended up being 11 pounds overweight. So they had to fly in at last minute. I think they flew him in. Um, Adam Lopez. So literally the guy had one day's notice for the fight. He turned up at the weigh-in. He was on weight. I'm not sure if it was at the weight he wanted to be at. I'm not sure if it was at his natural weight. I can't remember now. But anyway, both men weighed in. And, um, oh, sorry, that was it. Yeah, it was supposed to be a super featherweight contest. But Oscar Valdez came in 129 and a half. So just half a pound underneath 130. And um, Adam Lopez came in at 126. So he literally came in bang on featherweight because he is a featherweight fighter. So Oscar Valdez, a three and a half pound weight advantage there. And the fact that Lopez had one day's notice for the fight. That was enough for me to say, well, Valdez is going to knock him out within the, the first few rounds maybe round six at the very worst so there's me going and putting a bet on for round one two three four five and six for the stoppage and then he ends up getting it in round seven but Valdez himself was down in round two and Lopez for me pretty much won probably every round he was absolutely brilliant Adam Lopez and um, Oscar Valdez managed to you know to pull it out of the bag in round seven but for me I think his days are numbered now I'm not sure why he's moving up to 130 he's got a high world ranking of course with a WBO um they're talking about Miguel Bachel. He'd be way too big for Valdez. But, you know, Valdez is another guy that was a good amateur. And since he's turned pro, since he's won a world title, stuff like that, he's turned into that 
you know that kind of bullish style again. You know, he's he's just trying to knock everyone out, and he he gets caught quite a lot. He's been down a few times, and to go down by this guy here under the circumstances is quite embarrassing. But anyway, I do like Oscar Valdez despite all the all the uh, the hoops I had to jump through last week and, and not even get the interview. But it is what it is. Also on the bill. Arnold Barboza Jr. now 23 and 0, a KO for him in five rounds against William Silva. Now 27 and 3. That one was for the NABF Junior Super Lightweight title, and also, of course, Carl Frampton the Jackal. Now 27 and 2. It was a unanimous decision for him over 10 rounds against Tyler McCreary. Again, Tyler McCreary. Um, I think they might have pulled him down a weight class or something like that, and. Um, I think there was a catchweight, it was at 128, something like that. Tyler McCreary, as I said, very, very big for, 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 to make that weight. Um, but yeah, not that good. A bit limited, to be honest. And Carl Frampton was able to win that quite wide. I think he dropped McCreary as well, maybe once or twice. Um, yeah, quite one-sided. I even zoned out a few times. Again, Carl Frampton, talking about Jamel Herring, he's another guy, um, Carl Frampton, that, that is absolutely tiny next to Jamel Herring. We saw Jamel Herring get in the ring. He's huge next to Carl Frampton. So that one perhaps will be happening next. I think they're talking of St. Patrick's Day. We shall wait and see. Uh, but that is everything, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the top middleweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Alontes Fox. Alontes, welcome back on the show, my man. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure to be back. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready, ready, ready. So we last spoke back in June. Um, obviously, it was just after the uh, the Nick Brinson win, I believe it was. And, of, of course, since then, you've had the one fight, a wide points win over Bruno Romay back in October. Um, just f- just quickly, right. for those that haven't seen it, how did that one go for you, Alantes? So I put him down with a body shot in the first round. And... Uh... I mean, really, I just kind of dominated the whole fight. Besides, besides the, I think the third or fourth round, I got caught with a shot that I mean, that it looked, it looked a lot worse than it felt to me. But uh, you know, I got caught with that shot. Other than that, other than that, right there, I think I felt like I dominated the dominant performance, and I, I didn't think he, it was any, any, uh, it, it was any, no, no, it was, it was, it was definitely like a flawless victory. And like I say, you, you know, you've wanted a big fight for a long time now. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure last time we spoke, you, you, you called Liam Williams out. It didn't look like the fight would, would actually happen, though. But now it is on. I bet, I bet you're over the moon that it's on, Alantes. I'm definitely excited about this, man. This is my first time in London. It's an amazing thing. An incredible experience, man. Boston tickets everywhere. So I'm waiting for my team and everything. You know, I'm waiting for my advisor, my Burrell. I'm a mother of the better. You know, of course, I'm I'm going for the Frank Warren and this team for uh, giving me the opportunity. But I mean, you know, I I knew I knew they were going to have to make the fight at one point in time. But I mean, you know, I, I just I was kind of upset that it took so long. It still took a long. I still haven't signed the contract, honestly. And what do you know about Liam as a fighter, Alontis? Because in my opinion, he he really does have. You know the potential again, in my opinion, to become a future world champion. I believe he's a real talent. I don't want what you're saying because that's that's great. I just you know I every I think every fighter has the potential to be there, but I I don't I don't I don't think this fighter is going to be uh, a super challenge for me. You know he's 
he's originally, he's originally and probably really uh, and honestly and truly a junior middleweight contender. You know, we seen him lose to Liam Smith, and, it, and everybody says it's controversial, but at the same time, if I got if I got Liam Smith on my, on my table, they, Liam Smith would turn me down. And if we did fight, I'd beat the crap out of Liam Smith. Liam Smith is the same guy that got stopped through a body, you know, and he lost two fights to him. I mean, that's, what we, that's, that's, that's a jargon we've been going back and forth with. You know, it's not really – I don't – I don't – I don't believe uh, I don't believe Liam Liam Williams present that much of a challenge at all. I'm gonna go in there and box my ass off, you know, and stay on point. But you know, I, I I'm not gonna say I'm closer to the victory, but I'm I'm gonna try to dominate this uh, this fight as well. And you mentioned there, you know, Liam Williams, he's a small middleweight. Um, you know, most of his success came at super welterweight. And even while, you know, he's been campaigning at middleweight, he's actually said repeatedly that he can still make 154. He can still go back down. But of course, yourself, standing at six foot four, six foot four and a bit, you know, you're huge for middleweight. I'm guessing the uh, the jab will be the key punch for you in this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm watching, I watched some of his uh, his his previous fights, he 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 jabs like it's nothing. Like you know, from from fighters less, way less sharp than sharper than I am. You know, so if he can get past my dad, we might get some more. But I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna eat him alive, my dad. Probably cut him up. You know, it's it's probably gonna, it's gonna be bad. Really, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure this is the outclassing. This is me me completely dominating the entire time. The entire time at last. Let me say that. And you mentioned, again, obviously it's taking place in the UK, December 21st at the Copper Box Arena in London. Um, so you said it's your first time in London. Have you been? Have you never been to the UK before then, Alantis, no? Never been to the UK. It's, it's incredible. Man. As I'm, 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 very, I'm, I'm more excited about the trip <laughs> and being over and fighting from the UK fans than I am about this fight, I, I believe. And of course, I've always got to mention your your brother Michael. He boxes this weekend against John Arellano in Philly. Um, how's Mike getting on? Man, he's good. Man, he just cutting the weight this week. Man, we're gonna he's gonna win in the strong one forty two. And he's looking sharp as, as always. He's gonna I think he's gonna dominate this performance too. You know this this guy. I, it's funny because we look at these guys, and I think I think Liam was what six one. He about six feet. I don't even think he's that tall, to be honest. Oh man, see that's crazy. But this the guy that Mike's fighting is like six one, but he you know he's he he comes in with this typical pressure style, typical Mexican pressure style, and he gets hit with a lot of punches. And Michael Fox is accurate as hell, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a really bad. It might be a short night just from him beating this guy's face. And I'm guessing you you'll be in Philly for your brother's fight. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going. I we we'll ride up Thursday. Thursday, um, Thursday will be the weigh-in, so we'll ride up that day, and then Friday will be the fight. And Mike will be coming out to London with you as well. Absolutely, absolutely. We got a few people coming out. It'll be me, my my. Um, I think my mother's going to make the trip. Uh, my father, of course. Uh, my sister, this coach, coach D'Angelo Canard. Uh, my cut man Reggie. I think even uh, my teammate Greg Outlaw is, going, is coming as well. Oh, great, man! Great. And and have you kind of you know looked yeah. at when you're looking to arrive? Obviously, you want to arrive with enough time to acclimatize. The weather's going to be freezing cold. <laughs> uh, oh, it's going to be oh shit, man! I'm going to buy a new coat for real. <laughs> 
Uh, man, yeah, we're supposed to be coming. We're supposed to be coming uh, either Sunday, I think Sunday or Monday, one or the other. Okay. The 15th or the 16th. Okay, okay, yeah, you want to definitely give yourself a bit of time. I think the time difference is about five yeah. hours, something like that, with five hours in front. So, uh, five, you guys are five hours in front, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. And as it's happening this Saturday, Alontes, um, I want to get your, your prediction on the rematch in Saudi Arabia. How do you see it playing out, Joshua Ruiz, the rematch? I'm going with Andy Ruiz, man. I'm going with the American, the Mexican-American. And I believe, I, I honestly believe uh, his style is too busy for Anthony Joshua. Like he did Joshua knocking down and everything, but it seemed like once uh, once Anthony Ruiz put up the pace, it, it overwhelmed Anthony Joshua. Even though Anthony Joshua has power, he has some skill. He wasn't. It seemed like he wasn't ready for what Anthony Ruiz presents. At the same time, I love to see a trilogy. So if if Anthony Joshua wins. That would be incredible. I love to see the trilogy between them. That, that was, an, it was an incredible. I think we were six rounds for the first fight. I mean, I don't know how long the second fight might go, but you got, you're probably going to have a good six rounds in this fight, and then, you know, you might get a third. And the third would be great as well. Absolutely. We're all going to be, of course, watching that one. Um, and as it's the month of December, Alantis, you're the first person I'm asking this question every December, everyone that I speak to in December every year. I ask them, um, what is on your wish list in a realistic world for the following year? So for 2020 for you, of course, you know, you, you had your big shot at um, at Demetrius Andre. The fight didn't go the way you know, you hoped it'd go. You you got an injury in the fight. You got an injury in the fight. This this chance here against Liam Williams. You know, this is a fight where you can really get yourself on the map in the UK. Obviously, a lot of hardcore boxing fans know who you are, but the casuals are going to find out who you are right. when you put on a great performance. What can happen for you in 2020 in a realistic world? In a realistic world, we're getting that shot right back at the beaches, Andre, and uh, we're going to be world champion in 2020, man. And then, you know, after that, man. You know, it, it doesn't stop. The work doesn't stop. I'm trying, I'm trying to be undisputed world champion. So, uh, if they want to let me get a Triple G, they want to let me get a Canelo, I would love to take both. I would love to take all of those. Even a Charlie, I would love to take any of those belts, man. I, I believe I believe there should be one champion. I believe that face should be me. You know, Demetrius Andre is a very good fighter. I, I, I won't take anything from him, but I don't believe that he's better than me at 100%. Okay. Like I say, that you know that that stuff can happen. A, a brilliant win here sets up those those big fights. And like I say, the performance you put on is so important because how you do it, how you win, Absolutely. if you dominate. Again, this is stuff that you know. But but if you if you look good here, people are going to be calling for these fights. It's not just going to be yourself and your team. People oh, yeah. are going to be saying, "Hey, I want to see him in there again." You know, with, with the big fighters. So um, yeah, just just finally, Alontes, if you've got any closing words to your UK supporters, I'm sure the media are all going to be all over you when you get over here I feel quite uh, lucky to get you the first British uh, <laughs> first British outlet that because you're my guy you're my guy Joey. you're definitely my guy <laughs> but uh, some closing words man keep, keep keep watching man ESPN Plus on December 21st I'm going to trounce this guy man it's Alante Slides of Fox you want to follow me on social media it's S-L-Y-A-Z-A-F-O-X again that's S-L-Y-A-Z-A-F-O-X and this this message has been brought to you by the Keep Calm and Jab Boxing Group, the KCJBG. Uh, I I just think we better we better put on a hell of a performance, man. I can't wait to come to the UK, man. And, you know, I, I'm getting all these Twitter Twitter fingers, man, from from the UK fans, man. I'm, 
I'm about to quiet everybody down. Okay, listen, Alon says, it is always a pleasure catching up with you, my man. You know that. Best of luck for December 21st, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after. I appreciate that, Joey, man. I love I love Boss Hard Podcast, man. It's amazing. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. No news once again. Let's dive straight into the preview part. Let's start here with a card that's happening later today um, at the Hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. Just one fight, or two fights actually to mention, on the, or three fights actually. Little shout out to Aaron McKenna, a young prospect coming through, 9-0. and He's in a six-rounder against Victor Gaitan, who's 6-4. and four. Um, Jason Quigley, 16-1. and one. He takes on Abraham Cordero, 13-4 and four with two draws. I think that could be Quigley's first fight back since his loss. Um, can't remember who he lost to now, but you know it was an upset loss. Really, he needs to get back on track. Uh, also on the bill, Eves Ulysse Jr., eighteen and one, a guy with a real bright future in my opinion. He's in a twelve rounder against Ishmael Barroso, twenty-one and three with two draws. Obviously, the former opponent of Anthony Crawler and and Kevin Mitchell. That could be interesting. Eves Ulysse, a real real good talent. Uh, moving out now to the ICC Exhibition Centre in Sydney South. Um, Sydney, New South Wales in Australia. One fight to mention over here, really. Uh, the son of Costa Zoo, Tim Tazu, 14-0. A bit of bad blood, actually, between him and his opponent, Jack Brubaka, who is 16-2 with two draws. That one for the IBF Australasian Super Welterweight title. That one tomorrow night. Um, also tomorrow night, friend of the show. We had his brother on earlier on, just a minute ago, actually. Just a few minutes um, ago at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Michael Fox, 21 and 1. He's in a 10 rounder against John Arellano, 10 and 1. Um, Arellano, not a bad fighter, but he's been he's been plagued really with inactivity. Um, he's had a few a few spells out of the ring. I think at one point he even took about three or four years out of the ring. Moving out now to Canada at the Bell Centre in Montreal, Quebec. Over here we have. Topping the bill, former world champion David Lemieux, 40 and 4. He's in a 10 rounder against Maxim Bursak. I think that was a guy who I believe was supposed to take on Billy Joe Saunders at one point, but the fight never happened. 35 and 5 with two draws there. 10 rounds, you'd expect Lemieux to be a bit too good, really, for Bursak. Moving out now to Mexico, where the Auditorio GNP Seguros in Puebla, we have Emmanuel Navarrete, 29-1. and Again, I spoke to um, I spoke to Daniel Roman last week. He talked possibly about fighting someone like a Navarrete. Um, very big for the weight, Navarrete. It's for his WBO World Super Bantamweight title. He takes on Francisco Horta, who's 20-3 and three with one draw. On that undercard, Jerwin Ancajas, 31-1 and one with two draws. Puts his IBF World Super Flyweight title on the line against Miguel Gonzalez, 32-1. and one. Obviously, over 12 rounds, both of those fights mentioned there. And now going out to the big one at the Diria Arena in Saudi Arabia. Let's start with the undercard here. Diego Pacheco 7-0. and um, He takes on Levan Shonia 15-17. and Mohamed Majadov 1-0. He's in an 8-rounder against our very own Tom Little 10-7. and Obviously Majadov a real real good amateur. Um, a guy that I think I think he beat um, he beat Anthony Joshua in the 2011 World Amateur 
championships or whatever. Um, very good amateur, like I say. Been in there with some great, great fighters, the likes of Ivan Daiko, the likes of Roberto Camarelli, to name a few. Um, I think he beat Daiko in the in the amateurs and lost to him. So he's really, really um, quite quite experienced as an amateur, but only had the one pro fight, and he takes on Tom Little, a guy that is a bit bigger than him as well in, in terms of stature. I see the face off, Tom Little a bit taller. Um, of the two there, and also on the bill, Dillian White, 26-1, and one, a bit of a late addition to the bill since the Scott Quigg and John O'Carroll fight fell apart, he's in a 10-rounder against Marius Wack, 35-5 um, and five, Marius Wack, don't really see the point in that fight, I feel like, um, you know, Dillian White's recent opponents like the likes of Oscar Rivas, stuff like that, Joseph Parker, even Derek Chisora are all kind of higher up in terms of levels than than Marius Wack. I think Marius Wack's last fight um, of note anyway was against Martin Bacoli where he got stopped earlier this year. Um, Just looking at it, he has actually had two fights since then. He's managed to knock two guys out that had losing records and here he is against Dillian White. So I'm expecting Dillian White to get his opponent out of there. Also on the bill, Philip Hergovic, the Olympic bronze medalist, 9-0. He takes on Eric Molina, 27-5. Molina, a friend of the show. That one's for the WBC international heavyweight title. I'd like to see Molina do it, but to be honest, Hergovic looks a little bit special. And now the two main fights on the bill. I'm starting with this one here before we get on to the main event. I'm going to come to you, Ayaz, here. Alexander Povetkin, 35-2, 12 rounds against Michael the Bounty Hunter, 18-1. and one. Of course, Mike, a big, big friend of the show. Um, how do you see that one playing out? I think it's going to be a very good fight, obviously, Michael Hunt and Povetkin. Uh, Povetkin, obviously, he's a bit old age now, but I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the younger man. I'm going to go with Michael Hunt to win by points. Michael Hunter on points. We've gone to the predictions on that, by the way. And our listeners have also gone with that. 40% of people saying Hunter on points. 34% saying, uh, 34% that is saying Hunter by KO. Um, Pavetkin by KO, 18%. And Pavetkin on points, just 8%. I think that could be because Michael Hunter retweeted it and a lot of his followers and stuff decided to vote for him. But yeah, we're all in agreement there. A Hunter points win. Um... It's a tough, tough fight, you know. I know that Mike is over the moon. He's wanted this fight for a long, long time. Um, you know, Povetkin, we still got to look at his record and say he's just beat Huey Fury. You know, he's a good fighter. He always has been. And his two losses have came to Vladimir Klitschko and to Anthony Joshua, two heavyweight world champions that can really punch and, you know, were much bigger than him. Michael Hunter is not much bigger than him. I think Michael Hunter may even be slightly smaller, I think. Um, and obviously he hasn't, I mean, he's, he's been knocking people out, but he hasn't really got that, that power like Joshua, that power like Vladimir Klitschko once possessed. So if he can become the first man to beat Povetkin, um, who's not actually a world champion, you know, that, that's a real big statement for Michael Hunter, even though Povetkin is up there in age 39, I think, or maybe 40 years of age now, um, he is, he is probably the toughest, toughest 40 year old 
um, in, in, <laughs> possibly in the world, to be honest. Obviously, Luis Ortiz is in there for a shout as well. But yeah, it's a tough, tough, tough fight. Mike has got to be on his A game um, for every second of the fight because we all know that Povetkin's got a lethal, lethal left hook. And if he lands that on anyone, they could go. So um, yeah, cannot wait for that fight. Really, really pulling for Mike to win it, of course. And the main event for the WBA, IBF, WBO and IBO World Heavyweight titles. Andy Ruiz Jr. Um, I think he's still the underdog in this one, even though he's the champion. 33-1, he takes on Anthony Joshua, 22-1. We've been asking many, many people, uh, many, many professional boxers and stuff like that on this show over the last few weeks, who they believe is going to win. Now it's time for the two experts to give their opinion. <laughs> I'm just joking. Ayaz, how do you see it playing out, Ruiz Joshua? Um I think it's going to be a very, very good fight. I think it's going to be some. I think it's going to be similar to the first one. I think uh, Joshua is mentally still not right in the head from that first fight. Obviously, dude, uh, since recent his comments, says uh, I'm gonna when I win, I'm gonna get everyone to bow down to me. Fuck everybody. Obviously, that mentality for me is just not right. I think it's like it's reminding me when he fought the uh, uh, Dillian White first fight when he when obviously when Dillian White got under his skin. For me personally, I think if I'm gonna go with a win, I'm gonna go with Andy Ruiz to beat him again. I personally think that obviously with that Mexican style that Andy Ruiz fights, he's a come forward fighter. Obviously, when he get drops down, he gets back up. He doesn't give up. I think Joshua's gonna. Uh, Joshua looks a bit leaner. He's gonna try and box him. I think Andy Ruiz is gonna catch him out. I think Andy Ruiz is gonna catch him out. That's when I think Andy Ruiz is gonna stop him. So, uh... so I think it's gonna be similar to the first fight. Ruiz to win by KO. Okay, um, I'm going to side with you, Ayaz. The the listeners, the, the Twitter followers have gone with Joshua by KO, though, a whopping 59% um, in second place. Actually, it was joint second place. Ruiz by KO or Joshua on points, 19%, and only 3% back in Ruiz to win on points. Um, just quickly, I'm going to give my, my take here. I think that, you know, you're, you're right about... Um, Anthony Joshua perhaps going into the fight a little bit emotionally fueled. I mean, it, 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 he still did beat Dillian White in good fashion. He stopped him. He got hurt once in the fight. But other than that, it, I, I wouldn't really sit here and say, oh, he, you know, he got under his skin and it worked against Anthony Joshua. It, it may have even worked for him, you know, because no one has ever has ever done that to Dillian White. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I see you dropped an F-bomb in there as well, but... You know, I think I think I think Ruiz is going to come out in in the first round. I think the first round is going to be very interesting. I think we're going to learn a lot from the first round. I think Anthony Joshua will try to keep it long, try to keep the distance. He has to. He's going to try to box. He's going to try to make it boring. But there is that thing in Anthony Joshua where I feel like deep inside him he likes a tear up. You know, I think he 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 really could end up getting drawn into a slugfest, and that is where Ruiz's speed and Ruiz's power as well will um you know will will be the difference if they start trading. So for me, I think that will happen. I think um, Joshua's going to come out and be a little bit a little bit sensible and and you know really focused for the first couple of rounds. I think. Probably about run about round four, round five, round six, somewhere in there. I think he will end up getting getting um, you know involved in a trade up, and I think he'll come off second best again. Because remember that first fight, it wasn't close at all. You know, um, Ruiz absolutely beat the hell out of him, and for that reason, I just. It's not like it was close, you know. It's not like it was competitive. Ruiz absolutely beat the hell out of him. And for that reason, I can't 
really um, give you know or make a case for for Anthony Joshua to win. You know, I think if the pair are trading, Ruiz seems to get the better of it all the time. He's got a great chin, and um, you know that is that's what he wants to do. He wants to get inside and he wants to let his hands go. And I just don't know if Joshua can keep him off um, for a whole twelve rounds, really. So um, very interesting, very interesting. We're keeping it nice and short this 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 preview part of the show. Um, leaving Saudi Arabia there, moving now to Spain at the Polideportivo Vicente Trueba. Over here we have Kiko Martinez, former world champion, 39-9 and nine with two draws. He's in a 10-rounder against Alexander Caceres, who is 16-10. and 10. Sergio Garcia tops the bill, though. He defends his EBU European super welterweight title, 30-0 his record. He takes on Fouad Al-Masoudi, who is 17-11. and 11. That's over 12 rounds there. And the final bill to mention at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. I believe it's being shown over here on Premier sports or something like that um i think it's a subscription channel though so we're gonna have to stream this one if you don't have that already that channel there um on that bill we will get to see this one's gone massively under the radar by the way chris eubank jr 28 and 2 he takes on matty korobov um 28 and 2 also but he's got a draw that one's for the interim wba world middleweight title over 12 rounds um for me the smart money is on matty korobov you know um Obviously, we remember the bad night for him in which he got stopped by Andy Lee, but if my memory serves me right, he was pretty much winning everything, and um, Andy Lee pulled out a shot from the gods. Obviously, he um, he had the loss as well to Jamal Charlo, in which a lot of people felt he did enough to win, and most recently... That is where it, it's a bit strange. He got the draw against Emmanuel Aleem, um which I don't think many people thought would really be able to trouble him. And funny enough, Aleem is also on this same card on Saturday night. But um, yeah, that 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 majority draw that he had last time out is the only thing that's kind of making me think: Hey, has he perhaps turned a little bit old overnight? You know, has has he turned a little bit old of, overnight? He hasn't been the most active over the last few years either. And against someone like a Chris Eubank Jr. who can set a, a fast pace and really keep it up for the duration of the fight, it could get quite interesting. But again, the money, or, or the odds I should say, for Matty Korobov to win on points is very, very tempting if you check that one out. Um, unbelievable odds for me. It's, they're really, really good odds. Um, Chris Eubank Jr. again, Obviously, can be outboxed by pure boxers, and that is, in my opinion, what Korobov is. Obviously, he's a southpaw as well. You know, I don't have to remind you, Billy Joe, um, you know, was having a lot of success with Chris Eubank Jr. I don't think Chris Eubank Jr. gets on too great against southpaws. Um, also, on that bill, we should mention for the interim. IBF World Super Bantamweight title. Marlon Tapales, 33-2, takes on Ryosuke Iwasa, 26-3 over 12 rounds. And topping the bill, the final fight to mention for the WBC World Middleweight crown, Jamal Charlo, 29-0, takes on Dennis Hogan, 28-2, with a draw over 12 rounds. Again, Dennis Hogan, a guy that um, I feel has really made a name for himself in the past 
12 months and that is probably because of the the very close loss on paper to Jaime Munguia down at super welterweight but he's moving up in weight for this one um he's moving from 154 moving up in weight a lot of people felt he he perhaps beat Munguia and he didn't get the uh the decision because it was actually in Mexico I think that fight if I remember correctly so the 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 home fighter Got, got perhaps a bit of a rubber to green there. But here he takes on Jamal Charlo. Um, Jamal Charlo, you know, it's going to be a lot bigger than him, I'd imagine, when they're stood next to each other. Also, Hogan's other loss came to Jack Corkai, which doesn't really look that great when you're taking on someone like a Charlo. It's his time to shine just before the year is out. But that is about everything for the preview part of the show. We tried to whisper it out as quick as possible. The final thing to do, of course, as always, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated lightweight prospect. It is, of course, Mr. George Cambosas Jr. George, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I think I'm going to have to change that prospect to uh, to contender because we, uh, we're we very close to, to that world title now. So I think uh, we can officially start calling me a contender now. Contender, my apologies. So, George, <laughs> it's obviously the first time you've you've been on this show. You've compiled a record thus far of 17 and 0, 10 of them quick. Um, but tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, you know, the man behind the gloves. Uh, look, the record spe- speaks for itself. I mean, I'm very highly rated. I'm rated number three in the IBF, number five in the WBO. Um, but look, the man, the man behind the gloves, you know, I mean, is uh, is a warrior, you know, blood and guts warrior. I love to love to fight. Um, you know, I mean, all action. And look, I'm a, I'm a family man as well. I've got two kids, um, huge fan base. I'm 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 a people of the fans and and love the support from from the people. So, um, you know, I mean, I've got a lot a lot of things going on in my career. And, I mean, come December fourteenth, the next fight, the next big fight. Um, be very, very excited to to showcase, you know, what what we've been doing in the gym and what we're all about again. And of course, it's been well documented that you've played quite an integral part um, in in Manny Pacquiao's training camps for fights. How did that come around, and what's it like being able to work with a legend like Manny? Ah, uh, yeah, look, over two hundred fifty rounds with Pacquiao. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's incredible for for my career and the amount of of, of knowledge I've, I've gained in them rounds. Um, it all started back in 2016 when I was taken on uh, Brandon Ogilvie, who was formerly world rated number nine and was the number one in, in Australia. I was in the US sparring and getting some really good work and sparring guys like Sergey Lipinets and Andre Klimov, which a lot of fans will know who they are. Yeah. Um, and I was doing real good sparring. And you know, I mean, the, the call came saying, look, there might be a possibility for you to do some work with Pacquiao. Um, you know, would you be keen? I go, hell yeah, this is... This opportunity of a lifetime, of course. Uh, at that stage, he was fighting Vargas, so the height-wise didn't really fit. But it was it was the start of, of obviously showcasing myself. When I went back there for another fight camp, I was actually sparring Jose Ramirez, who's the current champ at the moment, and Ray Beltran, a former sparring partner of Pacquiao. And I was doing five rounds with each, ten rounds in total, uh, at, at Freddie's famous wildcard gym. Once they saw how I was sparring and, and what I possessed, I mean, the, the offer was there, and I said, look, He's fighting uh, another Australian, Jeff Horn. Uh, how do you feel about coming over? Once you're in camp, you know. Then uh, obviously I went and had my fight on the business, and a couple of weeks later I was in the Philippines in the ring with uh, with Pacquiao, the legendary Manny Pacquiao, a guy that uh, I looked up to, and I, and I watched all his fights as a young kid. You know, had all his fights on DVD, and you know, I sit there at night, you know, watching that stuff religiously, seeing what he does, and to be in the ring with him, 
and seeing them small little movements and all the stuff that I watched him, you know, take out all these legendary fighters. You know, he was trying to do it against me, and it was awesome. Um, you know, I mean, after that first camp, you know, to get called back again two camps later and obviously fighting his undercards as well, you know, it, it really shows what we're doing in our career and where we're heading. And you mentioned there, you know, you helped him prepare for the Jeff Horn fight. Um, how did that go down well, uh, or did that go down well with the Aussies back home? <laughs> uh, look, it was, it was a 50 50. You know, a few Aussies, uh, you know, on that Jeff's team as well, they weren't really happy about it. Um, but look, I didn't really know Jeff, I had nothing to do with him. and yeah. Obviously, we're all doing our own thing. I was in the U.S. preparing. I've always pretty much prepared all my fights in America now and uh, had nothing to do with, with me. I was there helping, you know, a legend, um, you know, opening up doors for myself and, and creating opportunities. So, um, and, yeah, it was good. And who did you think won that fight, by the way? Oh, look, I had to go with Pacquiao. Pacquiao mm-hmm. was the champion. He, he had the belt, you know, them close rounds. Um, they go to Pacquiao. So it was a good fight. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was Jeff Horn's performance of a lifetime. Definitely. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think in that camp, we kind of overtrained as well. People thought we didn't train as hard. We actually overtrained. You know, Manny, Manny's not, wasn't a young, you know, young fighter as he, as he once was. So he learned in that camp and in that fight where he needed to rest, needed to take time and then do things different and approach things differently from what he'd done in the past. And, you know, it was a good learning curve. You know, he, he uh, changed a lot of things in the Matisse camp and obviously in the Broner camp. And for myself, you know, as a, as a young fighter, reaching, trying to reach the top and being around that, seeing how world champion, an all-time great, who's got everything in boxing, got, you know, millions of dollars and, and so many world titles and world famous, to see how he reacted coming back and being in that camp and being his main sparring partner again, you know, seeing how a guy lifts himself up after a loss, you know, it was incredible and very, very uh, beneficial for myself. And of course, you're promotionally with Lou DeBella, um, obviously based in the states at the minute. Obviously, you turned pro though in Australia. Um, so are you, are you, are you living in the states now? And what's it like to be promoted by Lou? Um, I'm actually I live in Australia, but I'm preparing in uh, in the US. I'm actually in, currently in Miami, oh, great. Uh, training under Javier Centeno, okay. you know, very, very good coach. And um, I've always, you know, been been doing this for the last probably six, seven fights. Everything's been in the U.S. You know, I always planned as a, as a young fighter coming through when I first turned pro. I want to have my certain amount of fights in Australia, do what I have to do, gain the, the experience I have to gain, and then come to the U.S. And, and crack the U.S. and get signed by promoter. And that all happened. Obviously, got signed with Lou DeBella, who's, who's a fantastic promoter, and obviously, Big news came out yesterday where he's getting inducted into the 2020 Hall of Fame, which which is incredible. Um, I spent a lot of good time with, with Lou outside of, of, of boxing as well. And, um, you know, I'm very, very happy to have a promoter like that supporting me and supporting me and, and pushing me to the uh, the right direction of becoming a world champion. I mean, this this next fight obviously is promoted by Top Rank and in association with the Bella. So um, we've got a lot of good signs and, and, a, and a, lot, a lot of good, um, you know, I mean, a lot of good talk you know behind the scenes about, about everything in our career and how we're, how we're heading and of course you mentioned your next fight takes place December 14th from the Crawford Kavalowski's undercard at the Madison Square Garden you'll box the former IBF lightweight world champion Mickey Bay what do you know about Mickey George? Look, Mickey Bay's former world champion very experienced guy been around you know been around the game a long time he's been 
at the top where, where I'm trying to get to. He's had that title where I'm trying to get. I mean, so we picked him. We chased our former world champion. We wanted a top five guy or a former world champion. You know, I mean, a few guys turned the fights down. We, we, we look like, you know, we weren't going to get what we wanted. And all of a sudden, Mickey Bay's name popped up. And um, look, we jumped. We said, yep, Mickey Bay's name popped up. We're picking you. Let's go. And to his credit, he said, yep, I want this fight. Um, you know, I mean, he, he feels like he's the old bull. I'm the young bull. It's a very, very interesting fight for both of us. A lot on the line for both of us. And I'm fully prepared for Mickey Bay. You know, he's, he's got a very good uh, boxing style. He likes to move. But he does like to to uh, come forward and, and throw some punches when you engage him. I mean, whatever he brings to the table, we're fully prepared. Um, we're ready. You know, I mean, I've seen this style before. I've sparred with over 20 world champions and, and former world champions. So, you know, his, his mantle of being a former world champion doesn't, doesn't you know, affect me one bit. I mean, for myself, it's just uh, another man standing in front of me. And um, I look forward to having a name like that on my record and showing, showcasing the... Uh, the public in America and around the world watching you know, what we're about and, and why we are we we're talking about with, with different guys and we're coming very close to a title fight. Yeah, Mickey Bay, I mean, a guy who was, you know, flying high under Mayweather's guidance. He picked up his world title. He lost it to Barthelemy, which there's no real shame in doing that. But since then, he's, he's almost kind of gone missing. I know he had some troubles outside of the ring. He's, I think he's only had one fight in the last three and a half years, but it was a win. So um, it's an interesting one. It's a crossroads fight. And like you say, you're 100% right. A win here, you know, is, is a brilliant name for your resume. Do you anticipate it will be the toughest fight of your career thus far? Um, look, he's a former world champion, so this is the biggest name, you know, that, that I'm coming up against. I mean, he, he hasn't fought, I think it's in, in two years, but I don't take any of that into consideration. You know, I mean, he could have had 100 fights in the, in the last year. I'm preparing for the best Mickey Bay coming. You know, I mean, all the tapes I've seen, you know, I'm looking at the best possible Mickey Bay coming for this fight. And I've prepared 110%. I always do. Um, I've never left no stone unturned. And that's what we want. We want a name. We want a good name. We want to showcase ourselves. And I'm fighting a Madison Square Garden. You know, I mean, I'm 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 the uh, the Australian fighter who's who's come from the local, you know, club shows where 200 people would come out and, and watch me fight at the start of my career. And I mean, I'm, I'm all the way here, and I'm just excited. I'm excited to, to put on a great show. You know, to showcase the world, showcase America. You know what we're about. Uh, this is the name that I've wanted. This is the name that I've chased. The former world champion. We finally got him, and now we just got to put it all together, which we will. And, you know, you mentioned you're ranked with the IBF and WBO, number three with the IBF, number five with the WBO. The IBF champion, Richard Comey, is also defending his belt on the same card, the same night, against um, against friend of this show, actually, Tiafimo Lopez. How do you see that fight playing out? That's a brilliant fight. Look, it's a great fight, and obviously I'm the highest-rated contender to that title. So that's the reason why I'm on that card as well. You know, I mean, they, they, they want to... Showcase the next guy coming through. Um, it's a great fight. I mean, Comey's a, a, a comfortable, strong kind of guy. I was actually live in attendance when he fought Ray Beltran. They flew me, Lou Debella flew me in to uh, to Pachanga Casino, all the way from Australia, and I was there. Um, strong guy, but there are a lot of holes in his game. You know, I mean, he, he's not a boxer. He can be outboxed, and Tiafimo can box, but can be hit as well. So it's a very interesting matchup. I believe if Tiafema can take the onslaught and take the shots, he should he should get away with, with a points decision if it goes all the way to points. Um, I can't see him knocking out Commie. But again, it's a fight game. You never know. 
it's a very it's a very interesting very interesting fight and obviously I'm looking forward to doing my business first against Mickey Bay than sitting back you know ringside and, and watching you know who who's next I mean either they go to Lomachenko this is the plan they either go to Lomachenko or they got to come to me um, I mean I got to do my business against Mickey Bay and I'm fully focused on him but I mean they have two options after that yeah, I mean, get your fight out of the way, have the quickest shower ever, and get straight back to your seat. I'm sure you will. <laughs> um, of course, yeah, we we will be. Obviously, you know the other champion that you, that you're rated with, uh, the WBO, Vasyl Lomachenko. Now, to myself and many others, he looks incredible. I mean, possibly one of the greatest fighters, dare I say, t- to ever grace the sport of boxing. But do you look at him and say, I can beat this guy? You know, what do you see? Well, look. Lomachenko is incredible. You know, I mean, he, he's a wizard. He moves fantastic. He, he he's got a great output of of punches and and different ranges and levels. You know, but he has been put down. He got put down by an aging Linares. Now, if anyone's going to give Lomachenko trouble, it's a guy that's been in with one of the all-time great southpaws. I mean, a guy that sparred 250 rounds with probably the best southpaw ever in Pacquiao. Now, Lomachenko moves well. Do 250 rounds with Pacquiao and see how good you can you can time and, and, and catch someone coming in so awkward. Now, you see the way I find I'm very, very explosive and very powerful and very, very fast. And I move very, very good too. So um, it's a very, very interesting fight if that fight does eventuate. And I know there was a bit of talk from Bob Arum a couple of months ago. He was excited to possibly do that in Australia. I mean, it all comes down to me. I'm fully focused on Mickey Bay. I mean, the, the statement I make against Mickey Bay can change the tables and Bob could change his mind and say, you know what, no, we're going to go do this in front of 50,000, 60,000 know, Australians in a stadium because that's all we can do. That's the numbers we can do in, in Australia easily. Um, but look, you know, respect to him. He's, he's got the belts. He's you know, your number one or two or three pound for pound in the world. I mean, two-time Olympic gold medalist. You know, you respect that. It's, I'm, a, I'm a fighter and I respect, you know, the achievements and, and accolades of, of other fighters. Um, so, I mean, if it does come to the table and, and, and it's there, I'll take with both hands and I'm very confident I can win that fight. And every December, everyone I interview in, in the month of December, I like to ask what is on your wish list in terms of your boxing career for the following year. So 2020, I want to ask you, George, um, what is on your wish list? What can happen in a realistic world? I guess the answer, though, is a world title. Yeah, that that, that is... that's. Not the wishes. That's 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 the goal. That's that's what's coming. Um, first, Mickey Bay, end the year, end the year on a big high, um, and then 2020. You know, the first half of 2020, there's, there's going to be a title shot. Absolutely. And just the final real question for you. I'm asking everyone this as well. We're only a couple Before. of days away now, George. Joshua versus Ruiz, the rematch. How do you see it playing out? It's a very interesting fight. I, I change my mind every day. I think to myself, okay, now nah, Ruiz is going to get him. He's got his number. Then I see some stuff on Joshua. Now nah, Joshua's going to outbox him. He's going to show you know, that true champion about himself. Uh, I'm changing my mind every day. You know what? Today you got me on, on, on a Joshua day. I think Joshua's <laughs> just going to outbox him and he's going to look good. And uh, I think they're going to go one apiece and going to open up that trilogy. I mean, why not? More money, you know, more more uh, entertainment and, and more you know, exposure to the to the boxing world. Why not? Let him go again after this. Okie dokie. And just finally, if you've got any closing words just for our listeners, George, um, if you want to give out perhaps your social media handles where people can follow you, any anything you want to say just before I let you go? Well, obviously, I know you guys are, are, are UK-based 
uh, podcast. And obviously, I've got a few UK fans that have been messaging me on social media, on my Instagram, uh, George Cambosis Jr. and my Facebook page, Ferocious Cambosis Jr. Um, you know, I'm going to appreciate all your support and it's just going to get bigger and better. I mean, December 14th, you're going to see the best uh, version of George Cambosis you know, I mean, that, that anyone's ever seen. And we look forward to making a, a, a very big statement against a former world champion and pushing towards that, that big world title fight in 2020. Absolutely well said. Listen, George, it has been a real delight and a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Best of luck for December 14th, and I hope that we can catch up again sometime in the new year. Definitely. It's been a pleasure, and I'm sure we will catch up and and chat about our great win and, and what's next to come. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 216 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the top middleweight contender, Alontis Fox, and the undefeated lightweight contender, Mr. George Cambosos Jr. You may or may not have seen it, but I've created a video on YouTube. I've posted it on Twitter and stuff like that. It's basically a video that contains 18 different boxers giving their predictions for the Anthony Joshua versus Andy. Ruiz rematch so perhaps check that one out Um, unless you listen to every week's um, podcast then you've probably listened to them all because they've all been snipped from recent interviews I've just compiled them all together into one video that took me about two days to to make Um, but yeah Um, those predictions didn't include the two guests that we've had on this week's show giving their predictions, so it's 18 other boxers Um, yeah, so perhaps check it out if you want, they've all been snipped from recent interviews like I say, the Prediction League is back this week, best of luck with that but that is about everything from myself and I as thank you all for listening enjoy your weekends people and we shall see you all again next week